Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because I made the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Through 25 seasons, hey! 4,561 episodes, I believe The Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the LOLs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The moments that mattered. The eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. It was a headline that grabbed the nation's attention and deeply divided public opinion. Her story is like a movie thriller with so many twists and turns. It's hard to believe that it is actually true. Today, for the first time, she is telling her side. This is Marie Walsh. Her life looked picture perfect. She had a happy 22-year marriage, was a devoted mother to three children. She played bridge and tennis in her upper-middle-class San Diego suburb. But in the quiet of night, as Marie lay in her bed, she knew her idyllic life could come crashing down any moment. I, I was living the American dream, my dream. In the surface, it, it looked normal, but I was keeping this huge secret from my family. I met my husband in 1985. We got married about a year after we met. We started a family not long after we got married. And um, that was just like an escape into another world in a way. We saved for a house. We just were busy raising the children. I played tennis five days a week and rode horses. I mean, that's what I was striving for, was to have a normal life. While Marie Walsh was keeping up her country club lifestyle, no one suspected she was hiding a dark and dangerous secret. At night, I'd have these nightmares, and it was usually someone, um, people chasing me, men chasing me. My husband was, was laying next to me, and I just wanted to tell him. Anyways, and I knew I couldn't. And I, I thought, geez, this, I could lose everything. This could just destroy my family. This could destroy everything. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Oh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. So what Marie had kept hidden for 32 years was about to shatter all of their lives. As much as my mind seemed to want to almost repress it, I said, no, I have to always be aware that when I least expect it, that it will, it could crash this, this other world that I'd had to deal with. This darkness, this, this, this nightmare could take away my dream. It was closing in. The secret came out when I was a senior in college. I called my dad and that's the phone call I will never I will never forget for the rest of my life. I said, "What happened, dad?" And he said, "Your mother has been arrested." The life Marie Walsh spent decades creating unraveled in an instant. Her family found out she was really Susan Lafifer, a fugitive hiding from the law for 32 years. At 19 years old, Susan was arrested for selling two and a half grams of heroin to an undercover Michigan state trooper. She pled guilty and was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. After a year behind bars, Susan's grandfather helped her escape. With just clothes, a toothbrush, and $200, Susan fled to California to start a new life as Marie. Eight years after her escape, Marie met Alan, Ten months later, they married and had three children. She never told any of them who she really was. It was unbelievable. I uh, was in disbelief. And I was very concerned about the kids and that the fact that they were going to potentially lose their mother. It was definitely a shock. And I didn't want to believe it, but, you know, it was, it was just so shocking. The Marie Walsh that I knew, the mother that raised me, I couldn't believe it. It was almost like my whole world and my sense of reality kind of disappeared. In April of 2008, while planting flowers in her garden, federal agents showed up at the Walsh family home with a mugshot of 19-year-old Susan Lafifer. Marie was arrested in her front yard and sent to a Michigan prison to await trial. Susan Lefevre is now legally known as Marie Walsh, so we will be calling her Marie throughout the show. So she served 13 months in uh, prison and was released in May of 2009. This is her first television interview. A lot has been written about Marie, but today she wants to tell her side of the story. So if we can, let's go back to 1973, the year before you were arrested the time you were 18 years old. What was going on then? 
I thought of myself as being a typical teenager in the 70s, as, as typical as you could be in the 70s. Um, I was using drugs. Um, what kind of drugs? During high school, I smoked marijuana, mm -hmm. diet pills, tranquilizers. And then that summer, before I got arrested, other cocaine and heroin came out on the table, little mm -hmm. lines. And you know, it was just something even. A progression. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I thought I was experimenting. I, I uh, was trying things out. I was kind of following what I felt everybody was doing. I mm -hmm. thought of myself as typical. So how did you end up selling it? Well, that's a, I don't, no one would have considered me as someone who sold drugs. Correct. I was going to a community college. No one would have thought she's a go-to person for any amount. They just, mm -hmm. nobody would have. Now, friends that I had, they had all the connections. I was usually getting drugs from them mm -hmm. um, all the time. They were much more sophisticated than I was, involved than I was, most of my friends, especially that last summer. But if they asked me for drugs, which you know, I felt I would be glad, you know, I was glad that I could kind of cop for them, as we called it, and, mm -hmm. and that I would go get drugs. And so because how did they'd you always end up selling it. two and a half grams to an undercover cop. Well, that was a night that. Um, I was alone in an apartment I had just moved into. I'd basically moved into an apartment to get away from, um, I knew that summer that, it, that I'd gotten a little carried away. Wasn't With the drugs and the drinking and the lifestyle? Just the drugs. We mm. were little Boone's Farm now and then to get the, the, the pot down, but we oh. were definitely. Boone's Farm. <laughs> <laughs> Memories. <laughs> it was a good year, Boone's Farm, though. Boone's Farm, go ahead. <laughs> And um, so I moved into an apartment, and I was unpacking after I was just there about a week. And um, a, a friend of mine that I knew, a guy from school, knocked on the door. Mm -hmm. he, he right away brought out a joint. So we smoked a joint, and we were talking. It was very strange. We didn't, he'd never come to visit me before. We'd bump into each other a few times. I knew him this from high school. This is a friend you know. I knew him through my boyfriend a couple mm -hmm. years earlier. Uh -huh. His name was Richie. And he, um, as he was walking out the door, he started getting, he asked me to go with him to get to this uh, takeout pizza place down the street. And I said, no. And, and he was very persistent. And um, I just said, I, I eventually just said, okay, you know, whatever. I was kind of hungry. And um, we went to the pizza place a few minutes away. Okay. He got out of the car and, and I looked up and I saw Richie in the restaurant behind the glass. It's just a counter. So I said to myself, what am I doing here? And what's happening now? He can't even get a pizza. And I went in. And then, you know, at that moment, every, my life would change as far as men from, it seemed like a 10 men. Came, it was probably a little less. But they came out from the shadows, from behind the counters, rifles, military gear, and pointed the rifles right at me and Richie. And they, had, they put Richie up against the wall. They took money, one took money out of his back pocket and said 250 or $300. It was a SWAT team. And then they, they handcuffed me, put me in one car, put him in another, and we So you're arrested. saying you never sold any drugs to anybody? Um, well, like I said before, if my, I, I went and bought drugs for my friends. If they said, oh, well, I like, can you, can you get me So you're saying that? you never actually sold a drug to an undercover Never, person. never, never. But then you later pled guilty. Yes. Why would you plead guilty if you were innocent? Um, the first thing the prosecutor said to me when I met him a couple weeks after the arrest was, we know you don't sell. I said, I don't sell. I wasn't selling drugs. He said, we know that. We just want you to set somebody else up. They said, and we'll drop the charges completely. We need you to set up 
your boyfriend. And it was a guy I had dated for a few weeks. Okay. But I said, I don't even see the guy anymore. I never bought drugs from him. He was my boyfriend. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So I, you I said, I'm not going to set up my friend. And yeah. then they said. And he screamed at me for a while. And there was, it went on and on. But then he said, OK, if you plead guilty, we'll give you probation is what it came out to be. Well, you know, in the court transcript, the judge asks you six times, actually, if you are sure you want to plead guilty. Do you remember that? Yeah. OK. After telling you four times that there could be a maximum sentence of 20 years, and you still pled guilty. Yeah. So you were thinking, what at that time? Now, so the judge as, tells yeah. you six times, you, you know, you know what this is, yeah. you know what this means, you know you could get, you know, maximum penalty here. As I was walking into the courtroom, as I was opening the door, the prosecutor got in front of me. My lawyer was on one side. My dad was there. And he said, you know, do you remember, everything's all set up. Don't worry about the probation. Don't worry about it. But listen, do not mention it in court. The defense attorney and prosecutor we spoke to involved in your case said that no probation was ever promised. Now, we spoke with your de defense attorney from 1974. That would be Nick Trogan. Remember mm -hmm. him? Sure did. This is his quote. It was a surprise to everyone that Susan got 10 to 20 years. Uh, there were never any promises made to her about probation. That simply is not true. Nobody knew she was going to get 10 to 20 years. The only one who knew, he says, was the judge. So when you hear that now, what do you think? I called him and asked him, why did he tell me to plead guilty? And there were witnesses. And he said, there was nothing I could do. They were going to give you the 10 to 20. They were giving everybody 10 to 20. OK, so you testified uh, to the judge in 1974 that Heron was kept at your house. Is that true? And that you and your friend were with the friend that you were with that night were planning on selling it and splitting the money. You know, this is. Well, you're out. You're free now. So you I know. Just, just I know. That's what, what I'm saying. Okay. It was such a small amount, and and, and 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 I had done that type of thing, not necessarily with heroin, but I'd done that with drugs. And you know, the prisons are filled to. with men, a lot of them black men, with small amounts of money, and they're in prison for years. So this happens all of the time. It normally doesn't happen to people who look like you who come from a background like you, but it happens all the time. The prison's filled with people who had small amounts of drugs. That's them. why I want to make it very clear, because mm -hmm. I've made it it's very complicated. But they pressured me with, you either do what we say, and you'll go free, basically, uh -huh. probation, or we'll give you 10 years in prison. Uh -huh. So you're saying that you, you admitted or pleaded guilty because you pleaded guilty based upon people at the time saying to you, if you do this, you will go free. If you don't do this, you're going to serve time. Ex so you pled exactly. guilty because you thought that that would get you out. Yes. OK. Yes, We talked definitely. to uh, the undercover drug agent who arrested Marie that night, and he told us that he stands by what he said under oath in court 36 years ago, that Marie was indeed a drug dealer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Marie says during her first year in prison, she did not have a single visitor. So did your parents uh, then just abandon you? Yeah, they did. Actually, my father, I learned later, you know, he thought the prison would help me because um, I was you, hanging this, around with the fast crowd. This is crowd. Marie's father, Albert. Albert, you thought the prison would help her? At the time, it was such a frustrating time in our life. We thought we lost our daughter to drugs and the culture of the 70s. And the people said she needs rehabilitation. And if you go to, she goes to jail, she is going to get a rehab program. And she did for a few months. But then the rehab program was gone, and she was thrown in with a whole group, everybody in the prison, and older and younger. And so we didn't know what to do, really. Her mother was sick. Her had four other children we had to take care of. I, I had a job that was relatively new to me. So it was a very frustrating time. We just didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. How did you escape from uh, prison with barbed wires and armed guards and the whole thing? Your grandpa came to see you. My grandfather showed up in the visiting room after not having any visitors for many months. And it was right after the moment where uh, basically I was very depressed in the cell after being attacked. And then I had a threat from the guard as they were dragging me to a, a solitary confinement cell. And I had just a, a moment that I, I, was, I was praying to die. And I thought maybe he'd come to tell me that, you know, that the family was, had a court, was appealing this. And he said, nobody's coming. Um, you know, nobody knows what to do. And they're building a maximum security prison soon. My, my grandfather never probably got a speeding ticket. Very, mm -hmm. a man of is okay. big integrity. So it wasn't like, you know, and he's just said, you need to escape from here. So that, it just meant so much to my grandfather to say something like this. And I just thought, boy, if my grandfather's saying it, and I'd been thinking about it, I had heard that there was escapes. This was a medium security prison. There was a fence with a barbed wire, but it wasn't maximum security. So how did you get over that barbed wire fence? I kind of made preparations where my job, that there was a, a fence nearby that, where I'd go to work early in the morning where it wasn't quite sunlight. And um, I climbed the fence. I threw my suede jacket over the barbed wire. I guess you figured out when you're desperate like that. And I did that. And I, I got on the barbed wire. And You did, um, obviously didn't ca get caught in the barbed wire. No, I, I did get a little. But then you were on the other side, and you think And what? I jumped down. Were you not afraid at any moment? Is this a prison where they're like armed guards in the tower? Uh, there was towers, but they weren't really manned. It okay. was pretty lax uh, as far as that went. There was a helicopter that came out, and that was the time of year where there weren't, wasn't a lot of snow. Um, but I waited for the snow. We waited for the snow to clear, because that would be kind of hard to get tracks. Follow your footsteps, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So if there you're going to no escape, snow. don't do it in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't any leaves, though, either, so they could see down. So I had to hide by a tree when the helicopter went over. And I was running, 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 and I wanted and to stop. And your grandfather was waiting in the woods? Yeah. No, he was waiting at a road in a car, uh, probably a couple miles at least away. 
1975, when she was 21 years old, Susan Lefevre escaped prison after pleading guilty to dealing heroin. She then started a new life as Marie. Determined to keep her past a secret, Marie hid a box from her husband and three children filled with old photos and letters. My former life was kept in this box. I did hide it, and it had letters from people. It had a lot of different names in it, pictures from the past that would have been very suspicious for my children to find. This was a picture taken a few months after I escaped. It's a reminder of a person that I didn't want to be. This was a picture of, of Susan, and I wanted to reinvent myself, I guess, and Marie was going to be someone who was a little stronger. So after escaping prison in Michigan, Susan fled to California. And you say in your book that somewhere between the cornfields of the Midwest and the Rockies, Susan ceased to exist. I wanted to basically uh, forge a new identity, forge a new self, and that I had to change also. Because while I was in prison, there was a drug program. And I did realize then that I wasn't just partying, that I had been using drugs, that I had escaped into drugs every time there was a problem. I not only had to change my name, but I had to change myself. And I just said, I'm going to be a different person. I'm not, Susan was a, was just too trusting, too, too weak, and I had to be someone different. I had to be- Did you different. at any point, or have you at any point, accepted responsibility because, you know, I've been doing this a long time, 25 years sitting in this chair, and I know based on my life and the lives of every story I've ever heard or read about, that you, uh, what, you reap what you sow, and that you have things happen to you in your life, not because of other people, but things happen to you in your life because of your choices. And choice after choice after choice puts everybody in the seat that they're sitting in right now. When yeah. did you come to that realization that it was your choices that did this and not other people? Not the people who set you up, not the police officer, not the prison, not, when did you come to that? Well, that's a good point. I think that was when I was, at that point, as I was driving to California was a very much where, I, this was definitely what I was going through my mind, where I had to take control. I had to quit and cut myself off from blaming my parents. And the new person, I went, my middle name was Marie. And the new Marie was not going to be this old Susan that always was whining about, oh, my parents and I got to get high. I was going to be someone new. So how did you claim this new identity? First of all, taking your middle name, but then how do you get Social Security? How do you do all of the things that you need to do to live in this world? Yeah, well... It, did you steal somebody else's identity? I, I'd like to make a, yeah, no, i perfectly clear that I never did that because that was mentioned in the newspapers and I never assumed anyone else's identification, never uh, assumed or stole anyone's identification. What did you use for a social I, security number? I... Because you can't do anything without social security. Yeah, I, I transfixed a couple numbers in my social security number. And after a year, after I got, uh, was working, I would usually have to move on to another job because they would say, there was a mistake there. Can you straighten this out? And I would just have to move because I, could ne I never had a name and a social security number that, that matched up. That matched up. Mm -hmm. So weren't, were you always afraid that somebody was going to track you? 
You know, I said to myself, what's the use of going over barbed wire and going through this if you're going to be worried every day? I said, I can't just worry every day. I would just live so my life So you didn't worry worrying. about it? After you, after you fled, you didn't I worry? I won't say I didn't worry at all, but it was always in the back of my mind. I, I felt like I had to make sure I always remembered. Never get too complacent, even no matter how many years go by, because, you know, then you get, you get loose and you might, you know... Um, say something. Say some, yes, say something or speed in the car or, you know, get where That's right, trouble. you can't even get a speeding ticket. Yeah, just everything could have, you know, if you're in a scene, yeah, any, anything I, I had to remember that any time they took my fingerprints, that could be the end of my new life and, uh, you know, it was back in that nightmare again. Yeah. Marie married her husband, Alan, nine years after her escape from prison. In May 2004, Marie and Alan flew to her dying mother's bedside. I, I had to go home urgently when I heard my mother was really in very serious condition. And so my husband and I flew back, and she died in my arms. Marie couldn't tell her husband that attending her mother's funeral meant risking capture. I knew that there was no way could I go to the funeral. Just one of those moments in the life of a fugitive. What was the excuse that I'd give him? He thought I was kind of a monster for not going, you know, why would I even suggest not going to my mother's funeral? How, who would do that? Who would be so callous? Wow, before your mother's funeral, had you ever tried to tell your husband the truth? One time he just said, you know, one thing I like about you is you have such a nice family, you come from such a nice background, and I'm thinking, you know, someday this could very much, he could find out, so I had tried he met to your brace parents? him. Had he met oh, him? yes, yeah. he, he, um, he asked my father for my hand in marriage, real traditional, so my father and he got along really well, and he very much admired my father and uh, mother, got along really well with both of them. Well, how does that work? Because you're now Marie. Were your parents going along with the fact that you're now Marie? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. They felt like I was innocent and wrongly convicted, and they were um, there for me. I, but, but in answer to your question, I, I tried to tell him that I had done drugs. I had a boyfriend. I got into drugs with him. And, and he just would not, um, he didn't want me to go any further, especially, and then I said my parents and I had a lot of problems. And, and he just never really wanted to hear uh, the story. He just felt like it doesn't matter now. Because he didn't know now. it was that story. <laughs> <laughs> so Marie's husband, Alan, is here. Did you ever suspect that she was hiding anything? Well, I think uh, that she did refer to uh, a period of time when she had a boyfriend that was not the type of guy you want to bring home to, to Albert, and mm -hmm. that, that uh, it was a bad period in her life, and she got into drugs for a while, but that, uh, that in my mind, it was in the past. It wasn't something I needed to dwell on, uh -huh. you know? So Marie's three children, Maureen, Katie, and Alan Jr. are also here. So Maureen, you say looking back, there were signs? I always thought of my mom as such an ambitious woman and smart and intelligent. So I always wondered why she didn't have a normal career. That was one thing I always wondered about. And I just figured, you know, she wanted to raise her family and devote herself to that. Mm -hmm. I also found a letter once with a different last name on it. And I was confused by it and I thought, you know, maybe she was married or engaged before my father. And I just kind of let her, you know, I want her to come to us in her own time. Did you mention that? I found a letter with a different name on it? No. I never mentioned it, no. I never mentioned it until all, everything came out. Ah, and then you think about <laughs> that letter. 
You saw. Yeah. yeah. Marie and her family say their attorney has advised them not to say when they learned about her criminal past. So, Alan, when you finally found out, did you feel somehow that your wife should have trusted you more and been able to share this secret? Did you feel that? Did you feel betrayed? Did you feel... I, I, I have to say that initially I, was, I felt a little betrayed. Mm -hmm. um, and there was, I was angry. When I reflect on the, the reasons why she had to keep this secret to obviously protect herself, but also protect her children, to protect me, um, and knowing, you know, the mother and, and the, the wife that um, I've known for 25 years has been a, an outstanding mother and a good law-abiding citizen for, those, for, for the, all the time I knew her. Uh, you know, I, I, I understood why she kept the secret. What excuse did she give you for not going to her mother's funeral that was satisfactory to you? Well, it, it wasn't satisfactory. She just spent, you know, two nights before uh, up all night by her mother's bedside as she died. She died in, uh, you know, her mother died in her arms and she was devastated by it. And um, she, that's how she explained it to me. She, she did not want to go through the, the funeral. She'd already been through this traumatic period and I respected that. But I, I didn't understand it initially, but I respected it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So were you always trying to come up with ex excuses? Because it feels like when you're living a lie like this, you're always trying to cover up for yourself. I mean, yeah, I guess I, I got used to it by the time Alan and I were together. It was 10 years before I met him, but I guess so I'd gotten used to it. But you, I always had to keep that in mind and be aware and come up with excuses, I guess, yeah, mm -hmm. um, for a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is what I was going to ask you. I'm, I'm thinking that uh, after, you know, 10 years, 20 years, you actually think you've gotten away with it, right? Never. 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 Are you always looking over your It was shoulder? always, how will this story end? And uh -huh. it was like, will I die and this will be a deathbed thing to my kids? Will it be that I'm having a dinner party and the SWAT team comes in and accidentally shoots one of my kids that screams from upstairs or something? You know, I, I never knew. But mm -hmm. I kind of learned that part of the reason I got where that things happened was that you never know what's going to happen. You okay. don't, you only have so much control. When, okay, so take us to the day you're in the, this is classic, this is like a, this is a movie, I have to tell you. Uh, you are like tending your flowers. There you are with your little gardening tools. And here come the police to arrest you. Well, I'd always thought about my situation as being like two parallel worlds. This wonderful, basically idyllic world that I had just prayed for and wanted. Yeah. And then you are living the life world. of my dreams. <laughs> really, playing tennis, horseback riding. <laughs> little bridge in the daytime and taking care of the children. It was all I wanted. Okay, so let's go back to the front yard. So I have these two worlds, this terrible, terrible, destructive world, corrupting world of this prison, and then this idyllic world. And I always felt like these two worlds just, um, I was balancing them. And then when he showed me these pictures and said, Susan Lefevre, um, it was like, you know, I knew that finally they'd collided. This is the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I was Did just Did they handcuff aware. you then? No, they were good about it that way. Um, I have a little cul-de-sac, and everybody looks out that can easily, you know, see what's going on. And uh, 
Um, they took me upstairs to um, get rid of my wedding ring and, and uh, jewelry. And Were you uh, home alone? No, my daughter, Katie, was there. And I just said, these are policemen, Katie, um, that I have to, you know, I'll be back, I'll be all right. And, and then she started crying right away. She yeah. just What did you think, right Katie? I was just shocked. To, of course. You know, my mom was crying, and I, I immediately started crying myself. Um, you know, I never thought that this day would come. I didn't want to believe it. Yeah, we were stunned as much as we would both cried and we hugged and uh, just very sad that, that the policemen were there to take her mother. And, um, they made, and then I called my husband and um, said, Alan, the, the police are here and they're going to take me to uh, such and such a jail. So they waited till we got so in So obviously, he, he, they knew by then, right? I know they're not supposed to tell us legally when they actually knew. They knew there was a problem because I, I said, I can't tell you the details of this, but I have a serious problem. And that was just before that because I had been getting phone calls that someone was searching for me. He'd okay. been searching for a year. I knew for a year, anyone with the last name Lefevre, they were banging on the door for over a year asking if I was alive, asking if they knew if I was in the country. Mm -hmm. I thought this was interesting. You're in a jail in San Diego after you've been arrested, and here you are, this, you know, community woman, and you're thinking about what excuse you're gonna give for missing tennis. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my girl, they'd show up, they'd have threesome, we all hate not having a fourth. <laughs> a bridge, you have to have a fourth. Yeah. They were gonna miss me, so yeah. I mean, and you, you know, for your sanity too, you want to think of, you know, I, I wanted to divert, distract myself a little bit. I mean, one second I would think, how do I, if I, am I gone, is everything I have gone? And then, oh yeah, tomorrow I'm supposed to be at, you know, so-and-so's for bridge. Tomorrow I have bridge. <laughs> <laughs> what was more, I just, I, I, I thought, do I tell them um, I'm sick tomorrow and then the next week they would have to call the same, you know, I was just thinking, what do I tell them? How long will I be gone? You're talking about your friend. Well, I was telling, no, I wanted to tell my husband what he could say when I oh, saw well, him, how okay. he would cancel my appointments. <laughs> I mean, but you have to. Because you thought, I'm just going to be here a few days, they're going to clear this all I up. I didn't know either a few days or a few months, I felt, because the laws had changed where you don't go to prison or jail for uh, two and a half grams. They changed in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. While Marie was in prison for 13 months, her family's lives, can you imagine this, had been turned upside down. Here's what they told us about the aftermath of her arrest. For anybody who has a uh, loved one or family member that ends up in prison, in a way the entire family is going to prison. You never stop thinking about them. You never stop worrying about what they're dealing with. I was angry that they had taken her like that, and it had, it felt so savage to me. To see her come out and chained by the ankles and hands and some old rugged jumpsuit and to have to talk to her behind a glass window to justify that this woman needs to be put in a cage with a bunch of murderers, it's unbelievable. 32 years of being a good mom and you know, always obeying the law, it just wasn't fair. She wrote us a lot of letters, and the letters were very, very, very painful to read. 
It was her greatest fear that not only would her life sort of be ruined, but that our family would just slowly crumble. I just had this whole flash of my wedding day and having her not there and possibly even having my first child and her not being there. It was an indescribable pain and emptiness you feel inside. And that helplessness you feel over that tears you apart. So, Alan Jr., do, do you think now the family's come back to normal, or is it a new normal? It's definitely um, a lot better. You can tell my mom is a lot more relieved, and we can all just sit back and relax and kind of not think about all these terrible things that has happened to us in our past and mm -hmm. kind of move on and look forward in life. And so this is what I was going to ask you. Did you feel guilty for what you were putting your family through? I felt bad. Feel, feel I felt guilty, bad. feel responsible. Well, if I had been selling drugs at the time they picked me up, I maybe would have, or if I would have been selling drugs a bit heavily, you know, when I was 19 even, I felt really bad that, um, that I had put them through this, that they had to suffer. And I felt like whenever you do drugs, you know, you're, you're taking a, a, a chance of a lot of things happening to you. So when Marie's story made national headlines, the public took sides, as the public always does. Thousands of supporters thought that she should not have gone back to prison because she had become a model citizen. Uh, and others, like Mike Thomas, the Michigan prosecutor for Marie's 2008 trial, totally disagreed. Well, I don't think she was respecting the justice system while she was on the lam for years. Our uh, positions was you never filed an appeal for 32 years, so you didn't even have standing to complain about your sentence in the first place. And obviously she never filed an appeal because she didn't want to uh, be apprehended and she avoided detection all those years. But I bet you every single person in the prison systems in America would like to have the same opportunity to have 32 years of their life. Uh, I thought that it was unfair to the literally millions of people of all colors, races, and uh, creeds who went into prison and served their time. If you're found to have done something wrong, part of justice in America is paying the penalty. And she, just the same way everyone else, served their sentence. She should have had to serve hers. Throughout these 32 years, having come from that uh, first prison in, in Michigan, did you ever think about or do you now think about all of the other people who are behind bars for doing what you did and maybe even less than what you did? Did it make you more compassionate? Because the prisons are filled with men and women who had two ounces or three ounces or were caught in the wrong situation at the wrong time and end up serving 10 to 20 years in prison. Did, did it make you more compassionate? Oh, definitely. I mean, just unbelievable that these women got 10 years because their boyfriend left a little bit of dope in their basement. And the women, there's no proof. There doesn't have to be that they were doing, selling anything. It's very much, there's all the new laws are geared around putting, are, are geared to widen the net to increase the populations in prisons. And women are in because of a lot of times because of a boyfriend doing something. I heard that one of the things you said is that this, Alan, that you had said that this may be the best thing that happened to your wife. I heard that you said that because at least now she can be free. Yeah. It's, it's exactly right. It, she is, um, 
she has reinvented herself again. She, it, this is a wonderful, um, I've seen a, a great um, metamorphosis in her. Um, she is, as you know, you ask about the compassion issue, she has immense compassion for the people she left behind in that prison. We talk about it a lot. She tells me all the cases where these people should not be there. These are, these are the, the weakest and the poorest uh, that have done very little to be in prison. Mm -hmm. And um, she has immense compassion for those people. Prison is filled with people just like you. They really The difference are. is they don't look like you and they don't have the ability to afford lawyers to get them out. Thank you so much for your story. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... <laughs> the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.